Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Monday edition. No bill bag uh, this week. Maybe we'll do it later in the week. I don't know. But uh, over the weekend, there was quite a bit of news that transpired for the Oregon football program. Um, we've got some portal commits. We've got a couple guys that have been targeted in, in Oregon's current recruiting class by other schools, um, including their highest rated player taking an official visit to another school. Um, and then we'll also react to just kind of portal needs moving forward for Oregon. But let's first start with the good news, guys. Um, Justin Jacobs, a linebacker from Iowa, he was on campus this past weekend. He announced his verbal commitment Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours later, four-star wide receiver and Alabama transfer, uh, Treshawn Holden was also on campus, and he, too, announced his verbal commitment to the Oregon Ducks. So the Ducks have gone portaling twice. They've added a linebacker. They've added a receiver. Um, first main takeaways from either one of those guys. Is this program changing? Is this continuation of the program? What, how do we view these, these additions, you think? Yeah, I don't know if it's program changing. Um, you know, Holden was a starting Z receiver at Alabama. I expect he'll have a great chance to be the starting Z receiver at Oregon. Oregon's top two Z receivers this last year were Chase Cota and Dante Thornton. Neither player will be on the roster. This is a need to address. Um, Holden's, you know, his success at Alabama is is pretty marginal um, in terms of just in terms of production. I'm not trying to downplay the commitment at all because I think it could be a really good fit. Um, but 25 receptions, 330 yards, six touchdowns this last season. Certainly a player capable of making an impact. Um, West Coast kid growing up, L.A. guy. Uh, bringing someone like that back home makes sense. He was also visiting with another Alabama player who fits a position of need who we'll probably talk about later, um, who you also would be great to see end up at Oregon just because of positions that <laughs> are really weak on the roster. But no, I, I think this is a really nice addition with Holden. Um, I think you open up spring camp expecting him to be your number one Z receiver and one of your three starting receivers along with Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson. I think that's kind of what how, how it feels, at least right now. We'll see what the rest of the portal looks like. We'll see what kind of an impact a, a jury on Dickey could make. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if he's enrolling early or not, but maybe that's down the line. But, you know, how does he fit into the fold here? But Holden is certainly somebody who, the moment he steps on campus, will be positioned to be in the starting lineup at receiver. One of those guys. And, um, you know, maybe I'll let Jared do more of a scouting report just because I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, you know, monopolize the conversation entirely. So I'll probably let Jared talk about what he sees from a traits perspective. Um, I'll just give kind of like that's in terms of a, a team fit. I think Jason Holden has a great chance to be the starting Z next season. Um, and Justine Jacobs also fits, um, uh, you know, a, a potential starting linebacker position at Oregon. Oregon has a, a gap right there. They have a hole right there, potentially two spots. 6'4", 240, you love the size. Um, again, I'll probably let Jared run through some of the traits that he likes. But in terms of fit with the team, I think what stands out with with Jacobs is that, you know, linebacker was a real big weakness this last year. I don't lose any, any bones about it. And Justin Flo's already entered the portal. He was your, I think, third in snaps at the inside linebacker position. Your number one and number two were Sewell and Bossa. And we don't know what Noah Sewell's going to do. He might return. He might not. He might go pro. I think it's kind of a coin flip situation. And then you have Jeffrey Bossa returning, who I've been over this on this podcast, was, you know, based on PFF data, 
the worst linebacker in this conference basically this last year that was in a starting role um you know he graded out extremely poorly so uh, regardless of what sewell does jacobs has an opportunity i think to come in and, and earn a starting spot we have to note coming off an injury i don't he's hurt i don't know the specifics of it i couldn't find it i saw soft tissue um, but I but don't know what that means yeah i don't Sounds know like he got hurt like week one and then tried to play again like week four and we two, again, aggravated it yeah. yeah so i i we have to note that that happens so he I don't know if it's like it depends on what the injury is. I would imagine he's good for season, but if he gets here in spring, I'm guessing he's going to be probably rehabbing whatever that injury is, just because that's like what six months removed, seven months removed. Um, but somebody who can certainly just to that you know re- injury regardless, somebody who will be battling to start almost regardless of who else is on this roster this year, unless they go hit the portal a lot more at inside linebacker, which I wouldn't be surprised if they do. To be honest, I think Jacobs is a really high end player. He's very productive. His what is it? It's redshirt freshman season or a sophomore season in 21. Yeah. Um, well, 2020, probably uh, 2020 was the COVID year. So I don't know. Is it rich? Is it a second freshman year? I don't know. This COVID stuff drives me nuts. I don't know. But, uh, but basically in 2021 had a really standout season. People had high expectations, had an injury this last year that basically ended his career at Iowa. Um, a guy who could be really productive. And again, I love the size, uh, at six, four, two forty. Um, I'll let Jared kind of run through more traits he likes, but I think these are you added basically two guys who have a, and this is what you should be doing in the portal. You added two guys. Yeah, these are two guys that are going to come in and probably start. That's what you should be getting out of the portal, and, and that's what these two guys are to me. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. And, and like Eric started his his talking off with, these aren't you know program altering. They're just not. But they're two starters. They could be but really impactful players down the road. Um, I like both of these pickups for Oregon, especially Jacobs, but I'll start with Holden. Um, to Eric's point, he you know, he talked about how Treshawn's Holden's, his production wasn't unbelievable at Alabama, but he's also sitting behind a lot of really good receivers there. I mean, we could go through the list, but, you know, three or four first-round picks in the last couple of years at Alabama. Um, the Alabama wide receivers was a talking point a lot this season around the country, that the fact that they couldn't gain separation, they just weren't as good as they had been. Um, that's not to say that these guys aren't very talented. It's just that when you go from having three to four first-round wide, wide receivers on your roster with Bryce Young throwing the football, um, the drop-off between that and what it is this past season can be a lot. And it was a lot with Jermaine Burton and Treshawn Holden. Um, I still think Holden is a quality player. I think he fits in perfectly at the Z. Um, six foot three, he's got good size. Um, I don't see why he couldn't replicate exactly what Chase Cota did this past season. Um, I think those would be similar numbers because I still think Troy Franklin's got to be the number one unless they get some you know, stud receiver or, or one of the transfer portal additions is just significantly better than people anticipated. Like uh, if Dre McRae were to commit from Austin P and he gets in there, it's like, wow, this guy's actually an absolute bona fide stud. But I still think Treshawn provides Oregon a lot of depth, um, which is what they need right now. And both of you guys mentioned, you know, heading into the transfer portal to, or to, to land two starters as commitments right now in the first couple weeks. Um, that's a really good start for Oregon. And, you know, there's, they're, they're going to need to go back in the portal for a lot more players. I think they'll, they'll need to go back in for even more wide receivers just to build up the depth similar to what they had this past year where, yeah, Chase Cota can go down with an injury, but Dante Thornton is behind them. They need to get that kind of depth um, behind whoever it is that their starters are at the X and Y and Z. Um, but for Jacobs, uh, I really like him as a prospect. Uh, Eric and I, we talked about this at the women's basketball game yesterday. You know, a linebacker who's six foot four, 238, 240 pounds, 
know, that's a body type that Oregon hasn't seen at linebacker. And it's a body type that really might not even be on the field um, right now or on their roster. Uh, it's a different type of body type. Um, he's decent in pass coverage, which I know everybody is wanting to hear because Oregon's pass coverage from the linebacker perspective was abysmal at points last season. Um, but he played the money linebacker, which is the traditional, like the what Jeffrey Bossa played this past season for Oregon. Um, it's the traditional uh, pass coverage linebacker. He had moments of really good coverage uh, plays, but he also had some not so good, good coverage plays. And that's kind of what you give and take with Jacobs. But assuming that he'll be healthy by the time the season rolls around, um, this is a tremendous athlete. This is a guy who's a go-getter. Uh, six foot four, two forty. Like I mentioned, he's extremely strong. He's powerful. He can get through blocks. Uh, he can get into the backfield. Fifty-three tackles during his redshirt sophomore, whatever season that was in twenty twenty-one, um, was a starting linebacker for Iowa this season for the first two games. Obviously, goes down with an injury, but that's an Iowa defense that is uh, well disciplined, well coached. Um, I think he's just going to bring a lot of traits that a linebacker didn't have this past season for Oregon. Um, and I'm, I'm extremely excited to watch him on the field. Um, there's a bunch of clips of him. There's a nice long YouTube video um, just diagramming every play that he made against Iowa State. That uh, was pretty interesting because those were plays that you didn't really see an Oregon linebacker player or make last season. Just jumping out into coverage, getting on a wide receiver, jamming a tight end at the line of scrimmage, um, you know, ripping off of a block just because of his strength and then getting out and tackling a running back and forcing a fumble towards the end of the game. You know, those were things that Oregon linebackers did last season. Um, so if he can return to full health 100%, I think that he could be pretty dynamite just depending on who's next to him. And the fact that Noah Sewell still has a draft decision, you know, we'll see who is next to him. But it's a good start for Oregon because if Sewell comes back, then you probably have your one-two right there. But if you don't, and you know you at least have a, a, a starting caliber, Pac-12 starting caliber linebacker at your disposal, and then you could go hit the portal for more, which I think they should do in general. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think you look at linebacker especially, and they need more um, because it's Justin Jacobs and Jerry Mixon who are joining the crew next season currently for new additions. They have – Devin Jackson, they have Harrison Taggart, both guys who redshirted this past season. And then there's Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, and Jeffrey Bossa with Sewell having to make that NFL decision. Does he go? Does he stay? So I, I think you could argue they need to add probably one, maybe even two, whether it's a prep guy or a portal guy or a combination there. And I think I think with um, Treshawn Holden, you essentially just replaced Dante Thornton. Um, very similar numbers between the two guys, very similar body types between the two guys. Um, Thornton was supposed to be the starter at um, his position going in next season or would be the odds on favorite, we should say. And like Eric said, Holden comes in, plays a similar position at Alabama, has a starting experience, very similar body types, just a little older player. So I think you've you've kind of filled that hole, but now you still need to go out and you find another one. Do they do they go find another portal guy? Um, this position group has more players available to it, but there's also one more player on the field than Oregon does at linebacker. Um, Justice Lowe, Kyle Casper, Isaiah Bravar were both all three freshmen on this year's team. Hudson, Franklin, and Delgado were sophomores. Crocker's a junior. 
Um, and then Caleb Chapman has uh, NFL, uh, not an NFL decision, a decision. Does he want to finish his career or come back for um, a fifth season of college football? So they, they could, they need to add guys. They've got Jerry on Dickey. They've got Ashton Cozart. Now they got Trishon Holden. Um, also on campus this past weekend, um, a Johnny Cornelius, uh, a, an offensive tackle from Rhode Island, Kyrie Jackson, Eric, Eric kind of mentioned him. He's a cornerback from Alabama, Trishon Holden's teammate. Um, we also know that Oregon has extended an offer um, to a UTEP offensive lineman. His name, for whatever reason, is escaping me here uh, for a second. I just Jer- – Jeremiah Byers. Byers. Yeah. yeah. I had it in front of me, and then I lost it. Um, he's the only other guy besides Dre McCray that – currently has a known scholarship offer. Um, oh, wait, Tony Grimes, too, cornerback from, from North Carolina. He also has one. It'll be curious to see just now that the first wave of guys have come in, guys, here for, for visits, and we've now started to see some commits, how does Oregon react here? Like, do they go and – send out another flurry of offers and then try and get a couple guys in for official visits this coming weekend, which is the last before the dead period. Um, or is, are they kind of standing pat with kind of this small group of guys? And there's more out there that, that have offers. We just don't know about them yet. I'm sure. Um, but how Oregon pivots here is going to be interesting because like both of you guys said, they still have needs specifically at linebacker, but I think, just as important as finding like an, a, a pass rush guy. I don't know if they've got one yet. Yeah. And that, that's certainly was my number one need going into the whole portal situation was, was an edge guy um, predict somebody who would fill in that standing edge spot that DJ played basically um, that Mace played a little bit. Uh, that, that's, that's a big need. And then that's a position that you have to find one for it. And I, I haven't seen an offer go out to somebody who fits that type yet. I think, the other, I think the other position that's big that it looks like they are trying to address, well, I guess there's two, um, is corner and offensive tackle. Clearly, those are other positions that the staff feels they need to prioritize. Those are positions we mentioned going in that they needed to prioritize. I think Kyrie Jackson was just on campus with, with Holden. If they, can, if they can land a commitment there, now you say, hey, here's probably one of our starting, our starting corners next year. Because, again, I, I think you're in the portal almost exclusively shopping for guys you expect to start. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean they always start, but you look at the guys they brought in last year. I won't run through the entire list, but I think they had 10 portal additions in this last offseason. I want to say six to seven of those guys ended up being full-time starters, and a couple others were guys that were, were basically playing starters-type snap counts. So um, they've had success there. That's going to be the, the strategy here. And, and Jackson makes a ton of sense. Grimes makes a ton of sense in terms of corners because that's a position you lose Gonzalez. Again, I, I'm still of the belief that, like, hey, if you could land two really high-end starting caliber outside corners, Triquez as either the nickel or as a deep safety might make a little bit more sense next year anyway. I'm probably higher on Triquez's season than most people. Um, I don't think he was incredible, but I thought by the end of the season he was pretty serviceable. We'll see how he fares in the bowl game against uh, – we haven't really talked at all about North Carolina, but that's a really good quarterback that they'll be facing and Quez will now be the de facto number one corner with Gonzalez not playing. Um, but I digress. I mean, I think corner and offensive tackle are the positions that it looks like they're prioritizing. I'd still love to see 
and offer, and, and I'm sure it'll happen at some point, a focal point become some sort of edge players. I know they've, they've, they've landed several in the prep ranks. Just you need some experience there. You need it. You, you got to have a plug and play guy or two if you can. And um, I'll be kind of curious just to see how that, that comes together over the next couple of weeks. I think one thing you have to note here is, and, and Matt, I think re- referred to it as the first wave. And I think that's, that's kind of the accurate way to look at this is that there was that first wave of guys who got in the portal, basically day one. Um, what was it? December 5th. They just, they jumped in right away. There's going to be a lot more players that continue to enter this thing. I think once we get through bowl, once we get through the bowl games, there's going to be another wave of players, players who wanted to play in the bowl, prove themselves, kind of see where they're, see where they're sit, situated at on their current roster that are going to then end up entering. And I think you're going to end up seeing a, another wave of players come through there. And that maybe that's where you find the edge guy. But I, I think to me, the corner of the offense tackle, the edge positions are the ones that you really need to address here. And I still think you need to add another linebacker and maybe another receiver or two as well. Yeah, no disagreements with either of you about what positions Oregon needs to tackle. Um, I, I spoke about this on the live stream that we had last week about what a fine line it is between going after a guy immediately who jumps into the portal and then how long do you have to wait until the next guy you really want to go after jumps in. Um, and to Eric's point, there's going to be a second wave. And to Matt's point, there's going to be a second wave of of guys who do enter the transfer portal you know, post-bowl games or just whenever they feel like it because it's there. It's a, it's a player's choice more than it is anything else. Um, and you look at what Oregon has offered, and like you guys have both mentioned, the cornerbacks, the offensive tackles, and you know, they get a linebacking commit from Justin Jacobs. Um, if you look at the defensive line prospects, there's really only one guy, Desan McCullough, who played at Indiana last year, who was very productive as a true freshman, um, who I think Oregon should immediately go after just because I think they need they, they don't need a project. They don't need a guy who was a four or four or five star recruit who might be able to reach his potential if he comes to Oregon. They need someone who could step in and day one be a guy who they can rely on to get a, a pass rush in or at least get something on the on the edge from a run run perspective. Um, and I think McCullough is that guy right now. And that's about it. I mean, you have um, Tunmisi Adelaide, who's a five-star transfer from Texas A&M that I've mentioned on the podcast before. But again, he was—he he played, I think, two games at Texas A&M this past year. Was a true freshman. This is a guy who probably does have like a star potential. But if you're Oregon, you could—you could probably wait, but you don't want to. You need a guy who's going to be an immediate impact on the defensive line. So, if you're a fan who's concerned that you don't see a defensive line you know, offer going out or at least not publicly going out. That's the reason is that there aren't that many good choices right now. There are plenty of guys who are in the portal, um, but of the top five, uh, according to 24-7 sports, you know, two of them already already committed. Um, McCullough, the Indiana transfer who I mentioned is 100% crystal ball forecast is the Oklahoma, which would be Oklahoma's second top five defensive line uh, transfer addition this this postseason, offseason, whatever you want to call this period of the year because there's still a bowl game left. Um, but that's the reason. And if you're Oregon, I think you sit back and wait. If you can get Kyrie Jackson or Grimes from UNC as your cornerbacks, that'll send a message that, hey, these are going to be potentially the starting quarterbacks. So Dante Manning, Avante Dickerson, Darren Barkins, Florence, Tucker, all you guys, like you're now battling these people for a potential starting cornerback position. So if that could potentially give Oregon an opportunity to 
maybe see some players at the transfer portal and give them more more possible additions with less scholarships currently on the roster. Um, but I think it really just solidifies a, a very important position of need and one that was badly burned last season. Um, I, I, you know, linebacker again, like we've talked about, needs to be addressed as well. But I think offensive tackle, just like you guys have mentioned, I don't want to, you know, just spew out what you guys have talked about, but tackle, cornerback, those are exactly what Oregon needs. And I think that's from a, uh, from, insider perspective from what we see and what we take away and especially just from what anybody can see while watching game film or watching the game live um cornerback was a massive issue this entire season let's transition now to the high school ranks where dante moore oregon's highest commit five star the number two player in the country spent the weekend in sunny pasadena checking out UCLA. Um, it was an interesting decision, but it's also, you know, let's speculate here for a little bit. Um, I, I'm curious of this decision to, to, to visit schools. He's had an opportunity for a long time to check out other programs. Has never really done it. And then now that the season's over for him, and for college, he he found his way to, to UCLA. Um, I wonder why he makes this visit now. Is it because maybe when he committed, the idea was that Bo Nix was going to be a four-year guy and would be gone after the 2022 football season? And now that maybe isn't as likely to happen. Because Trayshawn Holden commits to Oregon. I have a hard feeling that's a guy who has a very minimal shelf life left of his career is looking to go to a school that's not going to have some kind of star QB in place. Dante Moore could become one, but that's putting a lot of trust in a freshman at in college that you've never met before. Ty Thompson really hasn't been productive, hasn't looked good, whether it's his fault, play calls fault or players around him's fault in the time that he spent at Oregon. So I wonder if Trajan Holden knows something that we don't know about Bo Nix, which maybe factors also here into why Dante Moore is looking around. I, I think this is all kind of connected together. If, if you're just speculating, get that meme out of the of the guy crossing all the, the, the string together to different things. Um, I think these are all kind of connected here for, for Oregon. Oregon's in a really weird place from a quarterback perspective because – their star quarterback could come back, hasn't really said anything yet. Now their five-star recruit went to UCLA. There's a lot here. By the way, we will have a chance to speak with Bo Nix on uh, Thursday or Friday of this week for the first time since the Oregon State game, and that might be an opportunity to see what we learn, see what he if he's made a decision, if there's anything to report. We'll, we'll, you'll know maybe by the end of the week. You might not. You might have to wait through the bowl game. We'll see what happens with Bo. Uh, no, I think that's an interesting reading of the tea leaves, and and what differentiates Oregon from or UCLA from Oregon is well, obviously a ton of things, but on paper, to Matt's point, UCLA does have DTR leaving. He doesn't have the option to come back. That's a starting opportunity at UCLA in an offense that was really, really good this year. It's very dynamic, and it's an offense that is going to not just lose its quarterback. I think Charbonnet's gone. Um, I don't remember Bobo's eligibility if he had another year or not. I, I think know. he's gone. I'll check. 
Um, but regardless, like who, who, I mean, who's around, who's not around him. Chip Kelly is, is, is known to be an incredibly impactful offensive coach, very creative. Oregon fans know that better than most. There's an opportunity to be the starting quarterback maybe day one there. I'm not sure if that was the pitch or not, but that's a pitch that theoretically UCLA could make that maybe Oregon is no longer able to make. I also think when you're looking at this, you have to consider that, you know, while he said the right stuff after Dillingham left, that was the guy who recruited him. And I remember that interview he had on ESPN shortly after. That was one of the, I think that was like one of the first few things he said is that he wants to go play for Kenny Dillingham. And Dillingham's no longer at Oregon. Will Stein is the offensive coordinator. I believe Stein met, I don't know if this just happens to be the way it plays out. I, I doubt it's like a response to meeting with Stein, but I believe he met with Will Stein and then shortly after the visit to UCLA was was announced, which again, doesn't sound great, but I, I think those are just more happenstance than anything else. But like, I if we want to be less conspiratorial, we just say here's a guy who maybe has wanted to play on the West Coast at a major Power 5 program, had an opportunity at Oregon, really liked the the coaching staff, really liked the offensive coordinator that play call the quarterback's coach. That person left. UCLA is a school that is also on the West Coach. It's interesting because UCLA wasn't really in the picture before this, which is kind of why it's weird. But UCLA makes sense as a descending school. Plus, I saw this kind of thrown out there, and it, it maybe it adds up a little bit of guys from Detroit. UCLA is most likely going to go to the Big Ten. I know they still have to make some decisions there, and I think that's probably 90% happening, maybe more. But you know, there's going to be an opportunity to go play games in the Midwest, right? That could be a recruiting pitch for UCLA just as much as it can be a recruiting pitch for the rest of the Big Ten to go recruit at LA going forward of, hey, every off year you're going to have a return game. And UCLA might play Michigan a couple of times in, uh, you know, at Michigan during his time there. And those might be games he gets to go play in front of friends and family that he wouldn't get at a school like in Oregon. So, I mean, I, I, I'm now just kind of creating – counter narratives i guess i don't really know but um the the next thing to matt's point i i think certainly feels and we've heard certainly rumors that there's 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 like some there's some smoke there like this could this could be a situation where nicks really does come back and you do wonder how that impacts things for a dante Moore, who i don't know like does he think he's a three and, and three and done and that doesn't happen all that often at the quarterback position maybe he thinks he's the rare guy who can do it he goes well if i'm going to lose one of those years of starting at a school i'm only going to have two years to kind of you know prepare myself and prove myself for the nfl draft and what would that be like 2026 or something and and that factors into his decision i just also think like it's so rare that a player is a three and done at that position you see that primarily at like what receiver and corner and maybe i don't know defensive line you don't really see that as much as a quarterback because it's pretty unusual a guy starts from day one and is so darn good he's ready to go by year three so um i think it's really interesting and, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how real this is in terms of like if, if, if this could be a, a real gut punch for oregon's recruiting class if he were to flip to ucla in the next week because then you start wondering about this you know how solid the rest of it is uh, we've talked about this on the podcast i'm not trying to get too negative because i still actually think this is probably not going to be the outcome. I don't anticipate he actually goes to UCLA. But if he does, hypothetically, like the whole, th- you could be pulling a string that kind of unravels quite a bit of things here with this class. I mean, I think it's so late that you just don't get too worried. But you also go like, that might maybe some of these kids delay their, delay their signing, just kind of see mm-hmm. where the rest of the class shakes out. So um, certainly really notable, really, really notable high school recruiting information, though. Oh, yeah. 
extremely notable. And just to what Eric ended with, you know, classes come together because of quarterbacks because that's their leader going into it. And that's the guy they're going to play with for the next couple of years. And classes can unravel because of quarterbacks. Um, there's a lot of ways you can look at this. I, I think that the negative perspective is, is um, was was covered by Eric pretty well about how UCLA is a is a Big Ten team potentially. I know it's you know still going through courts, I guess, but there's a good chance that it, that they end up going to the Big Ten. He gets that opportunity to go play at home, maybe a couple times during his career instead of if he goes to Oregon, where the odds of him playing somewhere in Michigan are very very slim, um, or anywhere in the Big Ten are pretty darn slim unless there's some home and home that I don't know about that I don't think is on the schedule, but wait, when did they go to Michigan State? Isn't that soon? Well, I'll look it up. I thought that was like in twenty eight or something. But anyways, um, but I I think that this is more when I first when I first read about it, I first saw the reports from Steve Wolfong of twenty four seven Sports. I just thought that this was a kid who has just taken his his official visits. He still has some to go. Um, it's pretty damn cold in Detroit, Aaron and. Michigan at this point of the year, like Matt brought it up in sunny, sunny Pasadena, not Pasadena, excuse me, sunny Westwood down in Southern California. It's a nice official visit to take. And Chip Kelly is a guy who's an unbelievable offensive mind. It's a school worthy of looking at because it is a powerhouse program or it has been in years past. It still has the name value. It's still going to the Big Ten. Um, there are a lot of things to like about UCLA. And if he is somebody who thinks that he's going to be a three-and-done quarterback, um, no DTR is certainly a way to help. Um, they still have Yankoff. Is he still there? I think he might be. Garbers, I know, is still there. Um, but Bobo could be gone. I looked it up. He's at his fifth year. This past season was his fifth year in college. Says he's a redshirt senior, so he still potentially has one more. Um, that's a good wide receiver to have if you're a first-year quarterback. Charbonnet is probably gone. Um, so you look at that perspective, and, yeah, you can see why he would want to go to UCLA and why he could potentially be a day-one starter there. But I don't I don't know if he's – I'm sure at one point Dante Moore will be that good to be this absolute clear-cut starter. But it might not be his freshman season. I mean, you look at – Somebody else who's in the transfer portal, DJ Uyunglele, was just as highly rated of a recruit, came out of Southern California, went to Clemson, sat behind Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick in that draft for that next season, knowing full well that he was sitting behind Trevor Lawrence for at least one season. There was always a chance that Trevor came back for two. It would have been dumb if he did because he was the number one overall pick. But he knew full well. And I know that the results haven't necessarily spoken for themselves for that decision because DJ, as I said earlier, is now on the transfer portal. But, you know, there's – or look at Bryce Young, who sits behind uh, Mac Jones uh, this past season – or two years ago, excuse me. These are opportunities for really high-profile recruits to learn. And I think if Ty Thompson got that development a little bit more, I think that would have helped um, in his – uh, overall development at Oregon. I think if Dante Moore comes to Oregon, if he decides to sign with them on signing day and Bo Nix announces his return, I don't look at that as a bad thing for Moore. He's still going to be competing for the backup job, but he gets to learn under Bo Nix, who will go be going into his fifth and final season of college football. And we heard all of this year about how much Bo Nix understood the offense and understood how the game works and how he made checks at the line 
those are invaluable things for a freshman quarterback, a true five star, somebody who can really learn and really advance his game. Because, you know, despite how good his high school team was this season, I don't think that Dante Moore was doing those types of things on the football field. And he can learn so much through Bo Nix and his experiences that he can basically use those as his own experiences when he goes into 2024 as a potential starter for the Ducks. Um, it's certainly something to keep an eye on just because you never like players visiting this late in the cycle. Um, I'm not sure which way to look at it, but I'm leaning towards my second side of it where he's going because he has an official visit to use and you might as well go somewhere nice. And I, I, I agree with both you guys that, that he's probably going to land at Oregon. But one factor that we haven't discussed yet, and I think fans need to get used to, is this could also be a leverage play by Dante Moore with the Oregon NIL collectives. Hey, I, I know you guys want me to come here, and I know that you guys have, have given me these deals, if you know, but UCLA's collectives are giving me this. And either match it or beat it. And that's going to become commonplace um, across college football, across college athletics, where players are going to, and rightfully so, are going to leverage NIL deals that they have to whether they're in school now or mm. whether they're about to enter school uh, to, to get better NIL deals. Like it's not just going to be an Oregon thing. Like, I, that could also be in play here. All right, fans, get ready to have your Decembers be just that much more stressful because every December, your top recruits are going to be visiting other schools, not because I necessarily <laughs> want to go there, but they want more money from your school. Uh, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I, I saw that idea, uh, I guess, bandied about with David Hicks, who was on Oregon's campus this last week, and how he's seeking more money maybe from AM or Oklahoma or maybe Oregon to try to ultimately decide where he ends up. Like, the financial component, we don't know for sure with, with Dante, but the financial component will be a factor with every one of these big-time recruits. And it is sort of the elephant in the room. Like we're here, We just spent about 10 minutes talking about, oh, man, maybe it's the quarterback situation at Oregon. Maybe it's maybe it's the West Coast. Maybe, it, maybe it's an opportunity to play in front of friends and family at UCLA. Well, maybe it's also there's huge chunks of change now in play for these recruits. Mm -hmm. and I, again, I don't want to attach it with Dante until he says that because I think that maybe kind of can become sometimes unfair. But like certainly there are going to be tons and tons of situations over the next how many ever years we're in the NIL era. And I don't imagine it goes away of recruits positioning themselves where they are taking visits largely just to get leverage. Right. We see this all the time. Like, if this doesn't make sense, think about it from the lens of how often do we see a college football coach's name attached to another yeah. school's opening that he has no real interest in, and then they get a huge chunk of change. We saw it with Mario Cristobal a couple Yeah, I was times. just going to say that. Mario did that like three years in a row. Yeah. So we can maybe we're looking at the exact same thing. And, and shoot, we might get to a place where we're looking at where your top player enters the transfer portal just to leverage for more money, right? Like, I mean, it could, it could get to that point where like – We're already well. seeing that. We're already yeah. seeing that, I think. Are we? I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's just the way it works when there's money that is legally involved in this. And again, the whole thing that is, I don't want to, we don't have to go down it, but like, this wasn't exactly what the transfer portal was supposed to do. It wasn't, it wasn't intended to create no. bidding wars. It wasn't supposed to be pay for play. But again, I understand that's that's the way it's going to go if the NCAA doesn't want to regulate it. I know it's really difficult to regulate, so you might as well just have the wild, wild west. But it's just a. 
it's just a weird world where we're talking about what are considered to be amateur athletes, and I, and I soon probably won't be considered amateur athletes anyway, but we're talking about them and how they might be leveraging their, their college commitment to make more money from school X and Z. It's just weird, weird times, man. It's unfortunate that both the transfer portal and the NIL stuff came about at like the same time period. Because yeah. now, like Eric said, it is really just the wild, wild west. And, you know, I, I don't blame players if they're leveraging stuff. Because no, I know I would do it in this opportunity. I know, you know, most people who are listening maybe wouldn't want to admit it, but they would do it too. I mean, how does doubling or tripling your salary sound? Like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. If I could get more, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I could get more money going somewhere else, like, all right. Like, this is how regular people live their lives. This is how coaches live their lives as well, like Derek mentioned. Um, no different for players. And if, and honestly, if a player who's 19, 20 years old is hopping in the transfer portal because they know they can get more money, all credit to them. It's a smart move. Might as well, you know, set yourself up because, you know, nothing is guaranteed past college, you know, potential NFL star point. But you know, if you can set, your, set yourself up for a couple of years post-college, you might as well do it. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll be back later this week for another edition. Um, a couple more, probably. We've got, like Eric said, football media availability at the end of the week. Bo Nix will be speaking. We'll get an opportunity to speak with him. And look, he's going to get asked about his future. What he reveals is the question. Um, we, that's what we don't know, but we'll talk about it on the podcast. We'll also talk more recruiting. Uh, We'll also maybe dive into some basketball. We had some rare occurrences from the men's side. We had the women get a big win over Oregon State. Uh, so maybe get you caught up there on basketball as well. Uh, and then next week, it's almost kind of bull prep week. Uh, we'll, we'll start looking at the bull game a little bit more. North Carolina holiday bull before all three of us head down to San Diego. Sunny San Diego. Warm San Diego. That's what we should say. But until the next one, uh, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.